All right. Hi, Gillen. I'm here with Gillen Bishop, the assessor for Carbon County. Uh, thanks for meeting with me, Gillen. He's been nice enough to invite me to his house to talk. Uh, so, Gillen, I'm just a, like a regular guy, just a citizen of the county, and I'm I'm interested in just kind of finding finding out more about what's going on in our local government. And uh, as I've been following what's happening lately, I've become aware of of this controversy surrounding you and your office. And I went to the last commission meeting, heard you speak there, and heard the commissioners respond to your comments. And and for one thing, I just thought it was kind of odd that you, when you asked to respond, you weren't given a chance to talk. And I've noticed, uh, you know, a lot of people are now kind of talking about you and but I, I just wonder if there's more to the story, and I feel like it'd be nice to give you a chance to just explain more about what's going on from your perspective, because I feel like we don't have a great outlet for, for that kind of information here locally. You know, there's, there's brief articles in ETV News occasionally, otherwise it's really just Facebook posts that people are sharing, and so I'm sensing that there's, there's a lot of confusion uh, locally about what's going on, and and this has kind of prompted me to want to basically just start a podcast that would explore local issues and, um, you know, just kind of what's happening and increase transparency and communication for everybody's benefit. So that's what I'm trying to do, but I'm an amateur. I, also, I don't really, this is my first time trying to do anything like a podcast. Um, also, I've, I don't have like journalistic training. I'm just curious and uh, interested in meeting people, learning more about how government works. So that's why I wanted to talk to you today. I don't personally have any uh, agenda or real feelings about what's been going on with the tax situation. So in talking with you, I'm just hoping that you could help educate me. And because I think in educating me, anybody that listens to this can also be educated. I think it would be beneficial for all of us to just have a clear understanding about the inner workings of government and how how property taxes work because it, it is so complicated seemingly and you know the more that I've listened and talked to people recently the more I feel like yeah nobody seems to really have like the full picture or or really a very good understanding about how things work so I'm just trying to do this as kind of a public service um, just for educational purposes but also for selfish reasons because I just want to learn so <clears throat> I'm hoping you can kind of educate me and dumb things down a little bit maybe um, and maybe this could also if you're willing to talk more in the future it could be the first of a few conversations that we have it'd be interesting I think to you know get further into the weeds at some point and really explore the details uh, but in this first conversation I just kind of wanted to get to know you a little bit so uh, my first question is I'm wondering if you could just kind of tell us a little bit about yourself, like your, your background, where'd you grow up, where are you from, uh, what'd you go to school for, like basically just kind of tell us about yourself and everything that led up to you becoming our assessor. Okay, Warren, well, thank you very much. I mean, I appreciate the opportunity to, uh, to meet with you and to, to talk with you. Um, you know, if the first opportunity anyone saw was that meeting, uh, that public meeting a few weeks ago, uh, they would have seen some elected officials uh, responding with pretty high emotions about a topic that they may not know a lot about. And so uh, I think it's always good to be able to take a step back, 
take emotion away and and do what we're doing right now where we can sit down and just kind of talk through without the pressures of the moment or also the uh, the emotions that that kind of get built uh, around you know topics like that so uh, a little bit about me my name is Gillen Bishop um, I've been the assessor now this is my first term and um, the assessor's office is a four-year term it's an elected position and uh, what brought me here to this position was in 2019, I actually got my citizenship for the United States. Uh, I'm originally from the UK, uh, born and bred there, lived there my whole life, uh, actually came over to America uh, to see a, a mission companion get, get married, ended up staying. So uh, um, I actually um, went to school for criminal justice. Um, I got an MBA. And then I kind of uh, moved through a uh, first career, kind of working at Walmart. I worked in the loss prevention area there, and I was in over northern Nevada stores. Um, we had always, me and my wife, we'd always uh, looked at Price as a place to come back to and, and raise a family. And so when we had an opportunity to come back here with some work opportunities, we, we took it. And um, at some point in my career, I wanted to do something for myself. And so that's when I uh, decided that I would uh, get the qualifications required to be an appraiser. And I am a real estate appraiser. Um, and once I got those qualifications, that kind of coincided with the first uh, year of me becoming a American citizen. And I wanted to do something with that. And I put in for public office. Um, we ended up winning and I took office. And it has been a little bit of a roller coaster. Um, it was a little unusual when I first took office. I came in and um, everyone with a appraisal license in the office uh, left before I got there. And so I took over January 1st. And when I arrived, I had um, two or three people in the office, none had a license. And they basically like looked at me and said, okay, what are we going to do? I was like, okay. And so we, we, we decided to make a plan. We, we had some help from the, the, our state representatives. And when I say state representatives, we have um, the Utah State Tax Commission appoints a person to be a rep, which is like a liaison between the tax commission and our office. And um, we started working through um, some, some plans that we had in place, put together a... We call it a land guide for that year, which values the land that's got out there. And then we started to actually do the reappraisal for individual parcels. Um, once we got, uh, when we do appraisal, we'd look at it a little bit broader than most people because an individual appraisal will look at one house and how it impacts or how it sits and values compared to all of the market activity going on around it. In the assessor's world, we actually look at broad neighborhoods and broad communities and then try to create not only a value that reflects market, but also a value that is equitable. So what I mean by that is that sometimes it might be not exactly what you could sell your home for, but as long as it across the board is equal with your neighbors, then it is a qualifying or credible value. Um, we also had a, another interesting thing is that, that when I took office, it was the first or second year that they had adopted a new system. Uh, that system is a, is a web-based system. It's called Puma. Um, great system. Uh, and it is 
getting like it is being built and it's a it's a statewide initiative and uh, i wanted to get involved in that so much that when the elections for that particular uh, board came up i put my name in and i actually got on to a general member on the board and so we meet probably twice or three times a year to discuss how the funding of that um is, is, is how the funds are used what tools are going to be um, probably the most relevant for us and give some guiding direction from a high level to the software de the developers that we have hired to do that. Um, it's a great tool. It does have some limitations. And because of our staff and the newness of our staff, um, we didn't have time to just do the whole county at once because that's the ideal thing is just to get the whole county into this new system. And so, but, so what we did is we made a plan to say, hey, what if we take each individual um, reappraisal year when I say reappraisal year, uh, the law states that every five years we have to do a detailed review of a property. So naturally the county has been split up into five areas. And those five areas are detail, a detailed look is done once every five years. Now we have to create value every year for all the properties. But as far as a detailed review of characteristics happens once every five years. Okay, can I can I ask you some some more detailed questions before before you keep going? Um, well, first of all, it's a really interesting and diverse background that you have. Um, so you grew up in the in the UK. Yeah, I grew up in Aberdeen, Scotland, and so I I'm been there my whole life. First time I left was actually to uh, to well I, I I went to on a trip and I, I took me abroad first time, but then any time I spent significantly abroad was actually to serve a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I served in Johannesburg, South Africa. Uh, big eye-opener. It, it was a fantastic experience. Um, but then I kind of realized that, you know, I want to see the rest of the world. And so I had my sights on America, and I had an opportunity to come here, and uh, I took it. And so, yeah, lots of, you know, coincidence and great events around that. But uh, once I got into, uh, you know, uh, in America, the opportunities that are in this country are, are, are there and uh, they're there if you, if you, you know, go for them and work for them. And, and so that's what I did and um, had a chance to, you know, have a family. I've got five kids now, um, been married for 17, almost 18 years. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah, it's great to just know a little bit more about uh, your, your personal life and the man behind the office. Um, yeah, it's such an interesting career you've had. So studied criminal justice, got an MBA, and you said you worked in loss prevention for Walmart. And is that what initially brought you to Price, was working with Walmart here? Yeah, so actually I had, um, with Walmart, I, I had a chance to, to come to Price just to take, like I worked at the college and um, I took a director, well, it was, so I was the director of um, dining services. And so that, I, I took over basically their food service area and their catering business that they had. And it was actually, um, like I was serving a uh, Lincoln dinner for the Republican party. Uh, Jason Chaffetz was there, um, place was, was full. I mean, a lot of the commissioners that are in office now we're at that dinner and we put on a great dinner. They, they, they complimented it and I was standing at the back and I was just watching that and I just thought, you know, I could do this. And um, that, that was my initial 
kind of like taste for like, you know, what, what would it take to get into this type of a realm? And I didn't really like the strict political side of things of commissioner. And so I said, well, what about one of the other offices? And then I led me down looking at the appraiser side of things. I, I got into the, the appraisal world. And then the minute I had an opportunity to become a citizen, uh, that was the first time I could run for office. So I did that. You know, I became a citizen September 2019, January. I put in for January 2020, I put in to, to run for the election. Wow, that's amazing. Okay, so you you gained an interest in getting involved in local government and identified the assessor office as something that you felt like you, you'd be good at and, and then decided to pursue a private practice as an appraiser and got your license. Yeah. And that's Wow, that's an interesting kind of order of, of events. Yeah, because, I mean, I, I knew that, you know, elective offices are inherently elected, you know, so so there every four years you have the opportunity for your boss, which is the people, to say, we think you're doing a good job, we think you're doing a bad job. And so I wanted to make sure that um, I chose a career and a set of tools that could perpetuate beyond that um, if, mm. if needs be. So how long did it take you to train to become an appraiser? And what is the difference between an appraiser and an assessor? Is it just that one isn't the official title for an elected official, but it's essentially kind of the same type of work? Yeah, so so it is essentially the same work. We are looking and um, the technical aspect of it is that we get a slightly different value. We're not going for necessarily the same uh, market value that uh, a real estate, uh, oh, sorry, a, a, a uh, appraiser is going for when conducting an appraisal for, let's say, a bank. Um, it's a it's a different it's a different uh, mechanism, a little bit different theory. I mean, almost ninety eight percent is in line, but there we do have just a little bit of a different uh, take on things. Like the market value that we are uh, asked to go for is actually in code in um, in statute, so that's a little bit different than. Than, than what an appraiser does. Length of time, there's different levels. Uh, it took me about a year and a half to get my license. Uh, it's the biggest part, the biggest hurdle getting your license is actually finding someone to be your trainer to sign off on experience hours. And so once we had made this decision to do this, I actually found um, two people in Utah that I worked with for a couple of months and the experience rate I was getting was just too slow and so I, it was it was just not going to work and so we actually made the decision and I took a job in Florida and so I went to Florida for about 10 months and worked under a um, two different companies uh, one was a commercial company one was a residential company and uh, just did a ton of work I mean they they were just doing work all the time they were doing we were appraising marinas and schools and hotels and daycare centers and just regular pieces of land for commercial development and then homes as well just and once we came back once I came back with my credentials um, I you know I put in for the assessor but I also opened my own fee business and uh, was doing work for uh, for banks and so um, that was a busy year hmm. that was a really busy year that was 2020 so what was running for office like and what was what was it like to campaign what did you how did you run your campaign was it a lot of work and were you 
out trying to like meet people face to face all the time or just doing speaking publicly? Because I I've I'm curious about just the process of running for elected office in general. What was your experience like? Yeah, my experience was kind of interesting. I thought there was going to be more of a debate. Like I thought there was going to be a debate. I thought there was going to be more of an interaction there. Um, I actually didn't get a lot of uh, interaction from the local Republican Party. I reached out to them and um, they had a couple of people uh, going for the commission race that year. And it was an election year. And so they were kind of, they had their hands full. And so with my race, uh, being a relatively new person, I was was told like, hey, good luck, you know, um, get out there and get in, uh, into the public eye. But there wasn't a, a lot of um, resources or extra things that could be done, which, which is okay because for, you know, a small town like this or a small county, um, the focus is normally those commissioner races. Um, so I went went out and I first thing I did was I priced out uh, the the big banners that I ended up going with and then I priced out little yard signs and um, I went with the big banners they were cheaper and I could target the audience that I want I put out three big banners in just some key places around town and then I did um, attend some of the the rallies that were going on and that was um, 2020 so that's the year that um, you know, the general election was going on and Trump got into office. And so there was a lot of uh, excitement. And I'd never seen those long, you know, trucks that, that go in those per- processions. And so I showed up at a few of those rallies and I just walked those those rallies and talked to people and handed out a flyer and just made sure I kind of like got my name out there. And um, that was it. And we we did we did well, um, but if you if you take a look in general at the uh, Carmen County uh, has shifted over the last let's say like fifteen years from uh, a little bit more of a mix to a little bit more polarized. I mean, there's more Republicans in office now than than ever, and uh, the I think the only offices that are not Republican have been there for a long time. Like, like for example, our treasurer. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a Democratic-held uh, position, and uh, she's held it for a long time. And so I think there's a lot of name recognition there. Mm-hmm. So the person that you ran against, was that the in- incumbent, the person that had the, the assessor's office? Yeah. So the, and how long had they been in office? So I, I believe they had held the assessor position that was their 12th year. Okay. So they'd been in three times. But I, I also think that they were in... The assessor's office before that time, like they they had been, you know, just just working in the office in other capacities. Hmm. Um, so, do you feel like voters were dissatisfied with their job, or they were just ready for kind of a, somebody new, or they, it was more of like a, a political party decision? Yeah, I mean, it, it. I mean, I would say that there was a, a little bit more of a political party decision because there was an ad. Uh, advantage to being Republican um, I would say that you know there was some one of the things that I noticed because I, I I did not um, explore the assessor's office like their values and say hey they look at this I would do this differently I would do that this looks wrong I hadn't explored that until I got into office and had a chance to look at the data and so I really didn't have a 
from a technical side side of things, I didn't really have anything to, to come at. But the one thing that was very apparent was that our values had been low across the, the county and they had been low for a long, long time. And our rates, like the, because you have your, your value and then you have the rate that it's multiplied by gives you the tax bill that you have. So our rate is actually quite high compared to the rest of the state. And so one of the things is that if the, if the values are not addressed and not raised to what a market value should be, then that rate just keeps climbing to fill that, um, fill the budget. And so we, we did have a high rate. And so that was a little bit of an indication to me that perhaps a lot of the, the values in the county had been stagnant, uh, meaning that they just, just hadn't been touched. Hmm. That's really interesting because I feel like that's maybe kind of the beginning of a lot of this, right? Like you, you came in and tried to correct what you saw as, as values that were, were too low, and, but it was just the previous person that maybe hadn't, you feel like they didn't keep up the property values with where they should have been. And I wonder, do you have any idea like what their, if that was intentional, what their motives were? Was it just like their desire to try to, maybe they had the best intentions trying to keep taxes low for people. It was trying to, trying to keep things affordable, but it was, in your opinion, inconsistent with where it should have been with what the tax rates were across the, the other counties in the state. Yeah. So, so one thing I would say there is that, you know, once if values raise, it doesn't lead to more taxes because they're not allowed to create any more taxes from values going up. It has to be revenue neutral, revenue neutral. So that means that as your values go up, the rate drops so that they fill the budget and nothing more. If they want more money, they have to, when I say they, if the county or a commission or some other taxing entity wants more money, they have to go through truth and taxation. And that's a very uh, public process to say, this is why we need more money and, and this is what we need it for. Um, do I think that there was intentions? Well, I mean... It, it, it is difficult to have the conversation with someone saying your values have gone up. It is easier not to raise a value and just to say, hey, I didn't raise your values, but the, the rates have been raised. You should go talk to someone else. Um, but we did have a little bit of a perfect storm because when we took over, uh, we were looking at COVID starting and then suddenly where there was a pause in real estate almost where nothing happened for like a month and a half. And then suddenly, boom, it took off and everyone was trying to move and everyone was trying to get out of, um, you know, they were going remote and so they didn't have to go into work anymore. And so they're like, well, I don't need to live 20 minutes from my business or my office if I don't even have to go there anymore. And so we just saw prices and real estate values just take off. And so if you were to look at our values, these three years that I've been in office, each year we've been looking at about $300 million in value that has been raised. Now, we've done that every year. If you were to look previously, the average was $10 million a year. I mean, $10 million, I mean, that is, that's not very much. And with a county this size, you know, that is, you know, very, very minimal value touches, you know, each year, and I and I went back ten years and got an average of that. So, I mean, we we were doing in one year each for these last three years, uh, very aggressive to try and bring things back to market. And um, you know, there does come a time though when 
the market starts to cool and we, we, we look at data from one year ago. So we're still looking at all of 2022's data. The first part of that year was still very aggressive and then the back part of the year slowed down. And, and when I'm talking with people, I let them know that, you know, when you have a slowdown in real estate, it takes a while for the assessor's office to be able to have the credibility to back it up a lowering because we've got, let's say, for example, you've got 300 sales. Well, 250 of those sales may take place in the first part of the year. And then the final set of sales that start to slow down, because it is a slowdown, there's less sales. And so you only have 50 sales. And so it's less representative. And uh, you do have the situation where it can take some time, like it can take a full year cycle to really show a true slowdown. Um, and, but, but at the same time, you look at people look today, they don't look at last year's data. They say, hey, no, today feel, things are feeling like they're slowing down. And so once we've had those three years of such aggressive increases, I mean, we did have a lot of people looking at their values saying, this is getting really high. Because we also have in, in Carbon County a little bit of a, a strange dynamic where the residential is raising in value, but we're actually losing or holding commercial values. Uh, and, I, and when I say commercial, I'm talking like bigger commercials. So like we call it centrally assessed. Those would be like your, your coal mines, your utility companies, um, things like that. You know, 10 years ago, those were, th those were the big taxpayers in the county. Now it's totally flipped on its head where, you know, it, sometimes you, you almost get to the point where you think it's a bedroom community because m most of the tax base is now residential. Uh, and that, that flipped probably a, over the last five years, more than 50% of the taxes needed for uh, this to running of, of the county and everything, and the schools are coming from residential, and it's just continued to go that way. Um, so that, that has been a challenge. Yeah, that's so interesting. Just like you said, the perfect storm of events that happened to just coincidentally uh, line up with the time that you took office. Obviously, COVID, which sort of, uh, you know, triggered this remote work revolution, which uh, got a lot of people from the valley to start looking farther away from from their offices at, at where they might want to buy a home. And yeah, it seems like just real estate values have been kind of all over the place. But going up and up here locally i mean even in kenilworth people are have been shocked at at how how much the values of homes that have sold have gone up just in the last three four years so yeah the, and then on top of that like you said the i mean not only the i guess the kind of industrial commercial tax base having dried up somewhat in in recent decades in carbon county but it seems like with COVID, again, the, the commercial property values have either stagnated or gone down because so many commercial spaces have become vacant. And even to this day, I mean, it sounds like especially in urban centers are are still unoccupied. And from my limited understanding, it's, you know, it's actually the banks that control the commercial lease rates they're not, they won't allow owners of these buildings to lower their lease rates um, because it would impact, negatively impact the property value. So it just seems extremely complicated, but 
I, I think that is, it's very important as a part of this conversation to just consider how much has changed just in the time that you've been in office and, and was really triggered by, by COVID in 2020. So I'd love to know a little bit more about what the assessor does and kind of how, how you learned this job. So you had your training as an appraiser and kind of understood technically how to go about doing that. Um, and then also I'm curious to know about, so there's been a lot of uh, mention of your, your staff, like how many staff are in the assessor's office and what do they do? And are they all supposed to be licensed as well to have the same kind of license or certification that you have? And what is your relationship with them like? Are you just kind of supposed to be working as a team and you manage them, but they're they're just kind of assisting you with a lot of the the paperwork and how do, how does that work? And how how did you how did you learn the job? Especially when it sounds like when you took the office, there was a turnover of staff and and I don't know if you received any kind of uh, mentorship from the person who was outgoing or if there was any contact with them at all or. So who who trained you to to like do the assessor's job? Sure. So so as far as the previous assessor, I've never had a conversation with them to this day, and um, I I understand they they are still um, they work for a company that actually produces the software that that uh, Puma software I was telling you about. They took a, a role with that that person that company. Um, I I think that they're that they're a great person. I mean, I, I have, but like I said, I've, I've never had a conversation with her. Um, the one thing I would say about um, staffing and learning the role, um, I did take some time to um, shadow some other assessors and see for, as far as best practices, like what they were, they were doing, and um, that was invaluable. Um, I do, the, the state does provide some high-level classes to give an overview for a new elected officials and I took those. There was there were several, and you know, though once once I had taken two or three of those, I, it did give me a good understanding. One of the best things that you can go to though to understand like how to do the assessor's job is um, the Utah Tax Code Section Fifty Nine. I mean, that is our bread and butter. That's where we live, and if it's not in that tax code, we we don't have to worry about it. And so spending time just reading the tax code um, was probably the best thing. There's also a couple of tools that they gave us. They gave us a calendar of events that happen each year. And so once you've gone through it two or three times, you start to see the uh, pressures on certain times and the other times where other things are a focus. Um, so just going through a cycle and seeing everything that's there, I can tell you that every year that I've done it, uh, new thing. I've learned new things, and I've learned new ways of uh, addressing the data to be able to pull out answers to say, "Hey, let's identify something that's um, that's needs to be changed or needs to be made better." And so that is something that was has been really big for me, just learning that. So um, staff-wise, we've got well. I'll cover what we do first, and then then staff. We are responsible for creating market value um, on each property. That is reappraisal. That's probably the single biggest thing that people know us for, that we create the values for both commercial and residences. And we, um, yeah, 
there are a set of values that are created by the state and those are for any companies that have a business that is large enough that it crosses county or state lines so that I wouldn't have the authority or an ability to get all the information needed to, to do a proper valuation. So because the state can pull data from outside or different counties, they have the ability to, to, to render a value on that. And then they give the portion of that value uh, to us. And so they, give, they just tell us what, we, what, what that value is. So reappraisal is, this, is the big thing. The second thing that we do, which a lot of people don't realize, is business personal property. Now, what is business personal property? That would be if you were to walk into Walmart, uh, the registers that they have, the shelves that they have, the pallet jacks, the carts, anything that is not real property, that's not physically bolted down and it's like part of the building, is, ca is classified as um, business personal property. It's taxed and needs to be valued the same as, as anything else. And um, we, we, we administer those values as well as collect the taxes for that. Um, that, was, that was a whole, I, I had no idea we were gonna be doing that. And even to this day, a lot of people, when they create a new business, they have no idea that they're gonna be taxed for their computers that they have or their iPhones or that they have or whatever. But a lot of people don't even uh, hear from us because this year, $27,000 worth of stuff is the threshold to be exempt. Hmm. And so if you've got, you know, a small business, then a lot of times you, you won't even hear from our, or you won't even, after you file for the first time and say I'm exempt, you don't hear from us again. So business personal property. The other one that is uh, Greenbelt, we administer the, uh, the, the Greenbelt program and uh, that has become more and more, um, popular over the last few years because it is a tax deferment it's basically that you are using this land for agricultural purposes and so you want to be able to get a, the, the government wants to support farmers and so there's almost a depending on what type of uh, agricultural activities going on you could see anywhere from 90 to 98 percent of the value stripped away from your land and you, you pay a very small portion of taxes. Now, if you decide to remove it from Greenbelt, you do pay five years back of the full tax that would have been, and it's called, it's called rollback. And the one thing that I would say is that there's there's been a lot of farmers that have ground, or a lot of taxpayers is probably a better word, that have ground that they use for hobby farming and, or other type of agriculture activity that does qualify that they've just never looked into it because the taxes have been relatively manageable and it's not a big deal. But in the last few years, as values have gone up, people have increasingly been looking for avenues, legal avenues, to say, I don't want to pay this much tax anymore. It's, it's, it's just a bunch of ground that we put our cows out on or we have our horses on. Is there anything that we can do? If anyone has any questions about Greenbelt, they can come in We'll walk them through that process, and if they qualify for Greenbelt, we'll get them on the program. So that's one area, one thing that we do. We also do um, um, uh, primary residential exemption. Uh, we, our office will uh, make the determination if a once someone comes in, they uh, 
they make a declaration saying that this is my home that I, I live at, and they get 45% off of the tax, uh, the, the market value, and you're only taxed on 55% of it. Um, we have to monitor that. If there's a credible reason that someone could have another home somewhere else that they're claiming, we have to then start taking action on that. Um, so that, that's a pretty big one. We also, uh, all the mobile homes that are in, in the county, we value and tax those. So we've got to keep a list of every mobile home, go out and visit it, take pictures of it. And those can be really difficult because if you want to move one of those, our office issues a permit for that. And if you want to, to, to get rid of one of those, destroy it, we'll, we'll issue a, a moving permit for the, for the witch card, for the, for the dump. So that, that's, that's another one that we do. And then, um, where we have one person dedicated towards um, building permits. Building permits is, is pretty key because that will be the new growth that's in the area and any new buildings that are coming through. So obviously our building department in the county, they issue building permits. They control all that. We have nothing to say about that, but we kind of shadow that process and come in behind. And as they're going through that process, we will put, place a value on a property as it starts to become completed. And uh, the value that we come always comes off of January 1st in a given year. So if you were to build a new house and come January 1st, if you're only halfway through, we're going to value it at 50%. And then if you finish it, you know, in May, then, you know, you won't, you won't see a hundred percent value until the following January. So those are the areas that we have. Um, and we have, when, when I took office, I had, um, I had two people and then one person left on a, um, uh, they were sick and, uh, they didn't come back, <laughs> but, uh, we've now got up to four staff members and our four staff members, one is dedicated towards personal property. And, uh, I actually, uh, made her the chief deputy, which means that when I'm not in the office, she has all of the statutory responsibilities and authority to sign things and exercise the, the assessor's, you know, authority if she needs to. Um, I have one that runs the Greenbelt and one that runs the um, building permits. And then I have one as my, uh, as a personal assistant that helps with just the, the managing of things. Like I didn't realize how much managing is just going on as far as like approving hours paying invoices that we, like if because we've got two vehicles so if we spend gas you know we've got to pay those if we buy things stationary wise we got to pay for those and so just making sure we're keeping up on um, the administrative side of things just that makes any office run i have a personal assistant that she, she keeps me on task on that um so yeah i mean that's that that's the the overview of it and um the, it's, it's been a fantastic and very fulfilling role um, because, you know, you get to interact with a lot of people. And, and my philosophy has been always that um, there are hard conversations to have with someone. It's like you can't raise the county's value by a billion dollars and not have difficult conversations with people saying, no, this is, this is where the value of your home really is. Um, so that's been a, a challenge, but I always tackle those conversations head on. I, I go straight into the conversation and just say, what can we do to reach a resolution? 
And ultimately, I mean, I, I never, I, I never look for a uh, escalation because, because a lot of times, you know, when we deal with people, we deal with not only their, um, their property value, but we're dealing with their livelihoods. You know, they're paying taxes and this, you know, I've, I talked with one couple, um, we, we met with, I think the commissioner said we met with about 900 people this go around. I mean, I met with every single one of those people in my office, sat down like we're sitting down right now, talked for 20 to 30 minutes. I mean, it was a long and grueling schedule to go through. But I always ask myself, like, if uh, if I am ever out of office and I want to address my value, what would I like to happen? I would like to sit down with someone. I would like to have someone say, this is how we get got to where we're at. This is where we can go. How do we get there? And, and have that conversation with them. And so I feel that, you know, that's that's a positive that I bring to the office. It's a positive that, you know, we do try to be transparent and give the people access, like, as to as much data uh, as, as they can, as they want, and as they can handle, and just say, this is where we're at. So, um, so yeah, it's been, it's been very fulfilling. Okay, thanks for explaining that. Um, I'd love to learn more in the future about kind of the, the timeline, like the process that you go through each year. And also would love to dive into some of the, the numbers and statistics, like, you know, how many pieces of property are there total? What's the total uh, property value? What's the total tax revenue? But maybe we can do that another time. Before we run out of time today, I'd love to just get a little bit into the some of the drama and give you a chance to respond to some of the, these criticisms lately. Um, I think one of the, the big ones, uh, which is, you know, since we're talking about still kind of the beginning of your term um, that you, you could respond to now is this, this accusation that you're not in office or you're not at work. Uh, that was like reiterated several times by, you know, all three of the commissioners. That seems to be one of their main frustrations. And then, you know, I saw it written in ETV news also they, that they had said, you know, that, well, the commissioners, first of all, said that there were rumors that, when you took office that you weren't going to be around much. I wonder where those rumors came from, where they got that idea. Um, and then, you know, in the newspaper, they had even mentioned at one time that they suspected maybe there was some kind of a conflict of interest because you're running your private business as a property appraiser. So what is there any conflict between your private practice and your, your public office? And, and is there like, what has your, uh, your, your time spent in, in, physically in office been like and is have, is there a reason that you haven't been physically present or do you do you agree or disagree with that accusation that you've you've not been uh present enough and uh, attentive enough to your staff yeah great great questions and i think that you know that all of those deserve um you know time to go through and, and answer for um first is it's like have i been physically in my office um enough and i would emphatically say yes yes i have um we very rarely interact with the commission that's just a fact and they don't they don't come down because there's not a lot until there's the tax roll closes and there becomes a uh, maybe a concern with a taxpayer um, our our paths don't cross that often but they are welcome to come down and take a look and and during the first few years of my office um, there was a concern that I had a private business and that it was taking away my time. 
And I, uh, I met and, you know, at least one of the commissioners were very pointed in, and they were very direct with saying that this is what they expected. And I understood that and I took, I took their feedback, even though I felt that I was being present, you know, I, I took their feedback and I tried to increase my presence so that they could see me more, so that other offices could see me more. And uh, one of the things that I've done is that, I mean, from about January of this year, I actually put my schedule public online so people can actually go schedule a meeting with me. Like if a taxpayer wants to schedule a meeting with me, they don't have to call, they don't have to ask, they can go on to the public calendar. And that's uh, if, if you were using Outlook, or sorry, uh, Google, you would search for gillen.bishop at carbon.utah.gov and you can follow that calendar and because it's available to the public and there are meeting slots there Monday through Thursday and you can just select a slot and you can book a time with me and those are my office hours. Um, that's something that I've done to try and get transparency and just to say, what am I doing? Where am I at? And so, I mean, even my staff, um, they commented, they commented to me just, just the other week after this was going on, they said, Gillen, like, we don't, we don't recognize the person that's being described by the commission. And I was just like, I know, and I, and I, and I agree with that now. I want to be, I wanted to do a big, um, um, I want to address that the commission, um, believes that it was, it was a conflict to have my own business. You know, I, I had my business and I came into office and no one at the state told me you can't have your own business. It's just like, so I said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do that. I'm going to keep my business going. And at no time did I ever receive, you know, um, a warning or, or, or say, hey, this is unethical. Um, the, un the, the, the ethics question that was raised in the letter was had to do with last year during the Board of Equalizations, someone came in uh, with a, an appraisal that I had done for a bank. And that bank, you know, the bank's not located here. Um, they, they had hired me to come and to do the appraisal. And that person brought it in and said, hey, I have an appraisal. And they didn't even know I had done the appraisal. I looked at the appraisal and I, as whenever we're going through evidence, we look at it and I start to go through it. I saw immediately, well, this is one of mine. I told the hearing officer, the hearing officer acknowledged it. And then it's, it's, on, it's on record. So you could actually go in and get a, a recording of it and listen to it. And then um, going over my notes from that one, we actually agreed that um, that value was in the, in the past, it was in the middle of the year, and it would still need to be brought up, even if I agreed with the number, um, it would still have to be brought forward to January, which is the, the lean date. And so we, we did that. We agreed on a higher number than, than was in my report, and we moved on. We disclosed it. And I'm fine. I, like, I didn't, I haven't heard anything. I never heard anything from, uh, again on that matter until just recently when the ethics question was kind of thrown out there. And at that point, when they, when they said that there was ethic, possible ethics violations, and I, I immediately went and said, hey, you know, I got a family. I, I have, um, you know, I want to, I mean, I don't break the law. And so I actually pulled my business license from Carbon County 
the day that I got that letter, like that was very, very pointed saying, hey, we think there could be state laws and ethics uh, issues. So I pulled my license and waited and basically, you know, wanted to, I met with them, talked with them. And as I stated in the, the public meeting, no state laws were violated and no ethical issues were present. I mean, if you think about it, I could go through almost every single elected official and others that are department heads in the county, and they have private businesses right here in town. They have, they have businesses that interact directly with the county for tens of thousands of dollars, some even more than that. And um, for, for there to be not the ability for me to be able to say, yeah, I will identify any issues that are a conflict and pull back from them, is, is just, you know, the, it's a standard that no other official is being held to, which I was very frustrated with. But at the same time, once they were, while they were investigating that, I still wanted to put my, you know, best, uh, you know, most defensible posture forward. And so I got rid of my business license. So there could be no question of whether or not I am doing um, business in the county. And so, and, and since that time, you know, it was a financial hit to the, to our family, but I still stand behind that, that I'm not doing business in Carbon County. And so the taxpayers can, they, they, it's not even a question anymore. So mm-hmm. I don't, I don't have to, to address that, um, in the future. Since when? So I did that when I got the letter in June. So uh, I pulled of this year, of this year. Okay. Yeah. So I pulled, I pulled the license in June of this year. And so, yeah, I haven't done, I done anything. And you, you intend to so not do any sort of side business or private practice so long as you remain in office? Yeah, and so, so, there, are, so there are things that um, with my appraisal license um, outside of the county, um, I have some small obligations to some clients that have, I've been doing stuff for for a while now that are relatively minimal. Um, it might, I do it on like a Saturday like I'll go across to Emory tomorrow to, to look at a property, but um, nothing of what I was doing my first year of office and maintaining a business that was local and, and moving around and um, just doing stuff locally. And, and I, can, I can understand, I, I can't understand the, uh, the concern, but I, I mean, like I, like I said before, you know, other entities and other businesses and other elected officials, they have practices that they operate freely in, in Carbon County. So, yeah. So, yeah, I, I think that was just a little bit of a, of a double standard there. Um, so are the expectations that it's like a full time job and you're supposed to be working 40 or so hours a week, which I assume is a combination of being both in office and also out in the field, like you're doing these yeah. manual assessments for each of the five uh, sections of the county. Yeah, and, and like, so representing the county in any of those capacities really counts. Like like this last, like this week, I was up at the tax commission and I was meeting with people all the way through. I mean, I even had a meeting into the night, into like eight o'clock at night, going over some things that will be uh, happening um, in the future for assessors in general, just discussing that with with another assessor. And so representing the county is just like, yeah, I mean, it, it requires 40 hours a week. It does to get to get everything done. And I, w- I would say that 
like, I, like wanting to to address like through the commissioner commissioner's accusations is that that first year where they brought it to my attention, yeah, I, I probably wasn't physically in the building as much, but we we were in a situation where and that's my first year. This last year and this year, I have been in. I I would challenge you to say go get the video. You know, go go look at things. It's like I I I was there and I've been in the office, but the 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 other thing. That first year that I, that I took office and I was busy, the way that an office is run nowadays is not the same way as how an office was run 20 years ago. Like I was, I, I was up at the tax commission um, all week and I turned around and I was communicating through Google Chat with my staff live. And then while I'm in a meeting with, um, you know, with the tax commission, I also logged on to a new um, Senate bill that was being, um, it was called SB 174. I logged on to a meeting and participated in a web conference call so that I could learn what this new law is gonna impact, um, how it's gonna impact the county. And, and so the way that communication and management is being done now and integrating everything together it's hard to just say, hey, if I don't see that guy clocking in and clocking out, then he's just not there. It's just, and, and, and that could be a generational thing. It could just be a perception thing. But like I said, so that people can have good visuals into what I do do, we've, we've tried to put everything into my calendar and make that calendar available to the public. They can follow it, gillen.bishop at carbon.utah.gov and you can follow that calendar and you can see what I'm doing now and into the future. So, yeah, I mean, I can see how there's maybe just like, you know, it's just uh, lost in translation. There's this misper misperception about what you're doing and when and how. And um, I, I can understand why just the requirements of the job and, you know, you're kind of also having to be, it sounds like self-directed and choosing what you decide to pay attention to and, what uh, meetings you're attending it's kind of you're figuring that out on your own and so yeah I can understand that I mean and it sounds like it could just be like an honest misunderstanding um, I, I you know I, I heard them talking about how people have come to your office looking for you and when they can't find you they'll, they'll go to the the treasurer the clerk trying to get help and it sounds like you know there has been some um, you know cross-pollination or, you know, I'm not sure the term between these, these three offices of people just trying to get their issues resolved and want to talk to somebody live. And maybe again, it was just like a misunderstanding that they weren't aware that they needed to look up your calendar online and schedule an appointment. I think it's a good point you made too about just the generational divide, because I think like a lot of the people who seem most upset about the property tax increases are, in my observation, like elderly folks living on fixed incomes, living on social security. And, and some of them, like my neighbor across the street, don't even have an internet connection or a computer or even a cell phone. So I can see how, yeah, if they came, you know, wanting to have an in-person meeting and they feel frustrated because they can't figure out how to navigate this, you know, a more modern way of doing business. Yeah. Um, it's, that's interesting. But anyway, yeah, I just wanted like you to have a chance to kind of respond to that accusation. I, I think the last thing before we go is just maybe you can also respond to the other 
kind of their main criticism of you, at least in that meeting, was that they they claim that you you haven't been a team player, that you you haven't taken accountability for things. Um, there was, you know, the Martinez's comment about how he felt like your attitude was essentially telling them to f off because they're not your boss and implying, I guess, that they should be the ones telling you what to do and how to do your job. So I just want to give you a chance to respond to that. Like, do you, you know, what do you, where do you think this perception comes from that you're, you're not a team player and you're not being cooperative and taking accountability and, you know, and along with that, their, their accusation that you're, you're blaming everyone else for these problems and, and not taking any personal accountability. Yeah. That's, those are good things. And so, I mean, if I was to look at a team player, um, when I, when I took the office, uh, I, I didn't know anyone at the, at the, at in, in, within Carbon County and, um, none of them, like my boss is the, the people and they, they will hire and fire me depending on how they feel. And, um, I, we did have that conversation where I sat with the commissioners and they were going over and I told them, I was just like, it's like, you guys are not my boss. Now, when, when, when Mr. Commissioner Martinez says, you know, I had the poor attitude, um, he knows that I never use that language. I just don't, I just don't use that language. It's not, and it's not, you know, it's just, I just don't do it. And so he, he, he realizes that when I say that I, you're not my boss and I'm going to make decisions, I am emphasizing and underlining that I am independent. A lot of the assessors, I mean, I, I'm involved with the, um, Assessors Association. I'm, I'm involved with AMCAT. That's the Multi-County Assessment Trust. I'm on their executive committee and on their board. That is the steering committee that I was telling you about that has that new program, the Puma program. Um, our, as assessors, we're kind of very, there's a lot of camaraderie there. And uh, we, we, we talk because we're talking about assessments. We're talking about value. Um, that's not really the conversations I have with any other department because we don't really, you know, they, they shouldn't be influencing us. If we're meant to be partial and, you know, creating an independent value, then I'm not going to show up for a barbecue at Larry's house and just be like, Hey, let's just chat. Cause I, I, cause I have to value your house as well. And I have to do your business as well. And so I have, quite deliberately try to be neutral, to stay away from a lot of uh, interactions so that people aren't or don't have the perception that the county is just one, you know, one ball of opinion. And so that that's that's what I would say. I mean, I, I'm a pretty, in my personal opinion, I, mean, I think I'm a pretty easygoing guy that people can come and talk to. Um, I, I mean, I talked with, like Larry was saying, hundreds of people this year. I do. I mean, if I was, if I was getting into just arguments with everyone and not being a team player, I would have never met with those people. I would have just said, "Hey, Larry, I closed the role. You guys deal with it." And I, and I would have dropped the mic and walked away. But no, I mean, we. It's just like we. I believe are creating a situation where we could interact positively. Now, I won't get pushed around. Meaning that you know, if they, if I feel strongly about something, I'll say it. And, uh, if I, if I think that they're doing something wrong, I'll call them out on it. 
like, like I'll give you an example. Okay. So they want us to do the training and have more training. Just this week, I received an email from the commission stating that they will no longer allow us to leave the county for training, meaning going up to the state state tax commission, um, because they say they've said they say that we are over budget. Now, my total budget, like the total budget I have, is almost like five hundred and something thousand. We've spent two hundred and ninety-eight thousand. We're way under budget. But in the one line for travel, we initially allocated four thousand dollars. Currently, we're about seven or eight thousand. Any other department, any other department, they would just say, "Oh, we'll slide some from your technology or your your uh, your uh, your what it, equipment or supplies fund, which I have thousands and thousands of dollars in those unspent." We just slide that across and, and it, it'll be fine. But but no, they're, they're just looking at that one budget line and saying, oh, you're over budget there. No more. Do not leave the county without our permission. It's just like, as an independent office, no other elected official has to go through that. It's like no one has to suddenly be like, yeah, yeah, we're not going to let you leave. I mean, the state has said, get everyone trained. And the commission has just said, nobody's allowed to leave. I mean, we have a what's called assessor school at the end of the year. We've now had to, to tell the state that we don't know if we're going to attend with my staff to assessor school. It's a three-day event because our commission has now, I mean, I was up at the, and I don't, I don't know if this correlates, but I was up at that tax commission meeting and on Monday went into the hotel like I've always done, swiped my card, denied. And I was just, that's never happened. And so I was just like, that's weird. And so then I paid for it just with my own personal card and just thought, I'll just get reimbursed. And then I get that email the next day saying we will no longer fund any of the, the travel. I mean, there's no discussion about it. There's no like, hey, let's have a meeting about this. That is, that is some of the crazy stuff that I think just takes away from what we should be looking at and should be doing because now as far as i'm concerned like there's a meeting next week it's called uac the U utah association of counties um i can't attend it i won't be going down to it because there's no funds for me to go down there i'm not going to go down there and just do everything on my own dime and so i it's been a little frustrating because they can go back and look and like every class that i took when i had my fee uh, fee business um i either paid for the hotel myself because I figured, you know, I've got my own business and this licensing and these classes kind of helped me. And so I paid for the, um, the, the hotel myself and my, any, anything to do with my own licensing, I've paid for it all myself. Like as far as my, um, like I, I, I did take, uh, cause you have to do it each year or each two years, every two years get, uh, relicensed and, and put it into the state. I've paid all those fees myself. Now that I have no business, and I'm basically just like, hey, I'm not doing work in Calvin County anymore. It's like, I'm amazed that they, they, they don't realize that, hey, I'm going to make the county. I'm going to say, hey, county, you're going to have to pay for this now because I'm, I'm not, um, there's, there's no personal benefit for this for me anymore. So that, that's been a little frustrating that I feel that, you know, there, there are some things that are outside of the, um, 
the job that I am called to do and that I, I need to be able to get done that we have to deal with um, that, in my opinion, is just drama. Um, so as we kind of wrap up here, I mean, one couple of things that I definitely don't want to leave unsaid. Um, one is this year, what was the big um, drama that happened at the closing of the tax roll? What's our time right now? It's 227. Okay. So at the closing of the tax roll this year, um, that is when everything really went sideways because it, state code says that I am to close the tax roll, which I did. I worked with the tax commission and they, we, we worked out getting the, the values that needed to be added. And then we closed that tax roll and tried to deliver it to our clerk auditor. That's the way the process was works, but they wouldn't take it. It's just, it was just a, a silence. It was just kind of a, not gonna not gonna acknowledge it. We're not gonna say, hey, it's done. And then at that point, I, I started hearing rumblings, just little rumors that, well, they had been discussing a list of parcels that they were concerned with. And I went over to our treasurer and I said, hey, I've been told you have a list of parcels that you have a concern with. Can I see them? And, she's, and she got me a copy of them and says, yeah, these are the ones I have a concern with. And so I said, well, I'm going to go take a look at these. And we did. We started to go look at them. And uh, some of them were just a miscommunication. Like they literally didn't realize what the, how to value something. Like C Commissioner Holmes said, this land previously had commercial land on it. And now this year, the, land's the land value has gone. If you go look at the uh, Utah Code, condominiums and business condominiums or residential condominiums, you do not report the land separately because the value of all of the units, it is inherent that the value for all of the extra stuff like the land is in the unit. Because if you own a unit in the condominium, you can utilize all of the land. You, you, you don't have an individual part of the ground that you own. You had an undivided interest, so they don't have you report the land value. That was a mistake, so we stripped the land value out of them and put basically the value up into the other areas. But that's not explained to people. You throw that accusation out there, and people can just think, oh my goodness, they missed out on land. So we were going through these, and we went through and addressed every single one. The vast majority, and, and I've committed to sharing this Excel sheet uh, the vast majority of them are just wrong. They're not there, and there's no uh, value concern on them. But um, the, uh, there were some that we did address the value and make some changes because we will make those changes. Once they had had those, um, those, those 800 parcels or whatever it was they had a concern with, I, w I expressed my frustration that why did you wait? Why was there no communication? Not a commissioner, not a treasurer, not the clerk come into my office weeks before we're closing the roll and say, hey, we found some things that we have a concern with. Um, do you want to take a look at them? That never happened. And that led to the perfect, I mean, it led, it led to, the, to the situation where now you're at a crisis. A communication, a conversation turned into a crisis that something has to happen right now. And so the commission, they said ta the ta they wanted the state to come down and look at the role. And when the state came down, everything they touched was too low in value. 
everything they touched, they went high in value. This is like we had, and, I, and I, I li I've listed this a few times, they took one area, anything that started with an O2 in your parcel, the improvements, they raised 25%, astronomical. Um, anything that we had lowered in value, as far as like the land value in the O2 area, they rolled it back to last year's higher value. I disagreed with that. If I used that level of analysis, I would be, I mean, I would literally be dragged through the streets. I mean, as far as like from a technical standpoint, like I would lose at every sort of state appeal if I had just said, well, it was higher last year. And so I'm going with a higher number. But that's exactly what they did. And I've gotten, I mean, I have the communications that shows, hey, yeah, this is what we did. We rolled it back to a higher value. And then they did another age-based study, which they added about $32 million into the county. And that was just based on the age of the home gets, gets some value. Why that, that is a, in my opinion, an inappropriate tool to use is because the ratio study which is the study that they used to do the areas, which already went through and they said 25% increase, the same study is used for the age. If you, you, if you do both, you're basically double hitting homes with increases. And so if, you, if you're in, in uh, the, the worst place to be would be in a home that was slightly older, um, that was in the O2 area that I lowered the values in. And that pretty much summed up most of like Westwood. Is it's like so those homes got like the perfect storm where they just got raised, raised, and raised again, and so it's like like, and I've told people, I I could walk down this the street and get within tens of thousands of dollars of a home just by saying yeah that one that one that one, but I would never be hundreds of thousands of dollars off, and that's what happened in Westwood. We were hundreds of thousands of dollars off. Now how did it get to all of those homes in Westwood? We don't have the ability to say, no, not this home, yes, this home. For, for that equity purposes, when they say raise it across the board on the OT air, everyone gets the same. So that at least we can say everyone's being treated the same. Because if we did it to everyone that has the O2 area, then, then it should be uh, equitable and fair. This, this year, it was just equitable and fair too high. And so that's why we had so many people coming in. And I would, I mean, I would love to spend some time to really go over the fallout of that because there's, there's a lot of things that play into that fallout that deserves a conversation um, for people to be able to sit down and say, like, how did this, um, not only like, how did we get here and what was done, but what's the fallout of it? How is it going to get corrected? And how does it, I mean, the, one of the biggest things that frustrate me was in that meeting where one of the commissioners said, well, the state changed the values. It wasn't us. It was the state that changed the values. It wasn't the local commission that did it. The state did it. That's just, it's just wrong because there's one simple fact that you can look at. What he was referring to is that if the state comes in and takes authority, says that, hey, this is too far gone, we're taking authority, it's called original jurisdiction. They originally have the power to do the values, so they're taking their authority back. When that happens, every single appeal goes to the state because the state set the values. So they said, yep, it's under our authority, so we're on the hook for, the, for defending the values. Send everyone to the state. Every single appeal that was done this year was done at the local level. So that means the state never took that authority. 
the authority to change the tax rule, to change values, was done through our commission. And that's why I was frustrated about, because the commission has very strict rules about actually doing those, and they have to have a public hearing. And they didn't do that. They did it over one weekend, and I learned about it on the, it happened, I think, on the 16th, the 19th, and I learned about it on the 22nd of June. And that was from the state just forwarding me an email saying, yeah, we didn't take your numbers. We, uh, we were asked to change the values from, the, from your local commission. And that's what frustrated me because if they don't hold a public hearing and say, this is what we're doing, I don't have an action to appeal against. And so now something's been done and I don't have the ability to say, I disagree, I want to appeal what you've done. I didn't get that. And so I, 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 I expressed frustrations. And then within, within a few days, that's when I got the letter that really was a very aggressive letter, which we could talk about that letter a lot. Um, and that letter, there was a lot of things in it that, I mean, like I, like I said, there was no, there's ne been, never been any um, referral to the attorney general's office. And they've told me that, yep, there's no laws broken and no ethics. But when you first get that letter and it says all those things in it, I mean, it, it makes you go back on your heels and say, man, they're, they're really, they're serious. I mean, I, I didn't realize maybe I am gone this far gone. And, but once everything settled down and had an opportunity just to kind of like take a breath, I realized, no, it's just like I didn't go off the reservation. It's just like, it's like the commission stepped in, they doubled down, and once they got all those values raised, I don't think they realized what they'd done. I don't think they realized like, man, what have we done here? Because right after that, they say, well, Gillen, start meeting with people and lowering values. I mean, you just raised the values commission and now you want me to lower them and I lower them all and then they accept my values. They say, we accept your values. Oh, and then we're gonna read a letter about how much you suck. And so I'm just like, I mean, it's going left and right. Like, guys, it's just like, you cannot take away your part in the process. I did not say, hey, let's raise all the values. It's like, that was done by the commission. They may not have realized it. They may not have factored in what the outcome would be, but their handprints are all over it or fingerprints are all over it. But anyway. All right. I know you got to go. So let's end it there. I'd love to continue this conversation another time. And I feel like, you know, we can, we can spend several more hours just going into all these things, but uh, an hour long episode is probably a good enough chunk for people to listen to one at a time and digest. Sure. So thanks again, Gillen, for just educating me. I've, I've learned a lot and it's really great to meet you and I look forward to learning more from you in the future. Yeah. Thanks, Warren. Yeah. And thanks to, you, to your listeners.